0: Assalamualaikum everyone. Before we get started on this week's episode, we need to make you aware of our recent launch good campaign. These podcasts and YouTube episodes cost us a tremendous amount of time and money. Your donation will be a sadaqah jariya. Please support us in any way you can. We're not asking for a lot. We're also set up on Patreon where you can support us on a monthly basis. Within the first week of this episode's release, thousands of you will download it. If each one of you donated even just one dollar every month. That will sustain this podcast for years to come. For your one-time donation, go to www.launchgood.com slash TMM. And to support us monthly, please go to www.patreon.com slash the lukes. The links will also be in the episode show notes. JazakAllah Khair. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Mad Belmooks podcast. My name is Sim. Along with me are my co-hosts Mort and Mahin. We have a wonderful show for you guys this evening. But before we do that, I need to get a, a couple business items out of the way. First and foremost, please like and subscribe this video. It's very important that you do that. It's the way the, the, way the YouTube algorithms work. And when you guys tell us to invite whatever... Scholar or imam or celebrity personality they come by and look at your subscriber count and they say oh Madman Luke's that uh, pretty small little do they know we've been around for three three years and have a pretty large podcast platform But that's besides the point sometimes some people just be are lazy and just look at the YouTube subscriptions um, All right, so we have three days left for the launch good campaign LaunchGood.com backslash TMM. We have a thousand dollars remaining Okay, Um, Chicago, you let us down. Chicago, you let us down. Our mother town let us down, Mahin. Only five donors from Chicago. How do you feel about that? Time to move to a place where we're appreciated. We we helped out so many local people in this town, trying to get them some kind of notoriety. Little things ye give. Isn't that what it says in the crowd? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's <just> someone's translation <laughs> Yeah, so. it sounds, it sounds like Pickthall Are yeah. you
1: asking for a refund now For helping those
0: people No I'm we'll just saying We'll just take just our episodes down <laughs> We've, Hey let's not approach that topic This week's uh, big donors Oh we had some big donors Who came through for us So we weren't entirely let down Alright so we have Abdul Basit Huck Guyanese brother out of New Jersey Thank you so much for your help, Abdullah. Basid. Shafat from Australia. Big donor. Thank you so much. Muhammad Ahmed. Thank you so much. Hamid Ahmed and Sajad Malik. I don't know what exactly, what state you're from, Hamid, but JazakAllah Khair. And Sajad, you've always been there from the beginning. Thank you so much, as always. Oh, if you guys cannot give to lunch Good for whatever reason, maybe you just don't have the money lying around. Give a couple bucks, patreon.com backslash TMM. Quick shout out to our sponsors, halfhourdean.com is where you go when you're down in the dumps and you are feeling lonely and miserable, but you don't have the courage to go sign up on a dating website, you want to go to halfhourdean.com, get a private profile set up in as little as five minutes. Once you get your wife going from halfhourdean.com, make sure you go to wahedinvest.com. Get some investments going so that you can buy her that nice house. And then the sad news arrives later on in life where you end up passing away. You want to make sure no one else in your family is uh, trying to take your property. You want to make sure that property is dedicated to the people you love and the people that the Sharia commands you to um, distribute your wealth to. So make sure you go to mywasiya.com, started by none other than Joe Bradford all right and we are back let's see here where are we oh there we are all right so our we have a special guest this evening we have Raja Raja Abdul Haq out of New York City he's a Palestinian activist and part of many different movements and um, all kinds of uh, activist related activities I guess um, from all over the I guess you're a jack-of-all-trades. You talk about everything, whatever comes to mind. I saw your Facebook. You you're just Whoever's in your crosshairs, it's a bad day for them. So Mahin Mort, we had a pretty long weekend in terms of a lot of activity, a lot of controversy. We had a pretty heated episode, I guess. It, was, it went viral, as as viral as we can get, I guess, as the medical books can get. And Dr. Gilan is someone I love. Yes, you guys made a lot of comments. Sim looks upset. Sim looks like this. He's, he's not too happy with the way Dr. Gilan explained his feelings, and you're damn right. I wasn't happy. Guess what? I still love the guy. He's still my teacher. If you don't agree with someone, one to five percent, it's still okay. You still love him. You, the farth the of unity is always the top priority. Nothing supersedes unity. Okay, you, this is something you have to understand that you know what what happened when when Musa al-Sam went uh, went away and and uh, the, the the people started worshiping the calf and you know and Harun al-Sam was trying to do his best and he when he came back Musa grabbed him by the ear right by the beard right Mort and he was like what did you do and he's like you know I I was afraid that they would split up if I tried to talk some sense into them essentially I'm kind of paraphrasing here I don't remember this remember the story verbatim but you get the point we 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 know that the unity of the Ummah is always paramount and some of the comments that some people were making in our in our youtube channel and and other places i just found it very disrespectful guys this is something that is a a disease that we have in our mind that we need first of all the the brothers a very educated brother and he's taught us all so many things throughout his his podcast. And if you disagree with him, you have to have a better approach. You just don't say like, you don't, you don't talk to him like you're, he's your kid. All right. That's all I have to say. Sorry guys. I had to get that rant out. How are you feeling more? Mind I lose you guys?
1: No, I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm good. We're good. We're just waiting for you for your rant to get done. All right, go ahead. Are you done ranting? I'm done ranting. Okay, great. All right, cool. So now we can move on to the good stuff. All right. <laughs> so, um, look, I, I think maybe I can kick this off because uh, I was the outsider. and mean, uh we were on the, we uh, were on the out, on the out, on, on the, I guess, on the outside of the podcast. So I listened to it, um, and and I think that um, I think we should probably first um, start off with the the dynamics of the Middle East and the Khalij specifically, right? So why don't you go ahead, Raja? Let, let, let us know what you what maybe what you think about the Middle East and how does that compare to what they were talking about in the podcast and maybe some other views you might have.
2: Uh assalamu alaikum, first of all, um, thank you for having me. Well, uh, wasalam. Inshallah. Wasalam. Inshallah again. Uh, like the second what Sim said, and hopefully we'll have a fruitful conversation um, today. So Bismillah ar Rahim. So I, I think it's it's very central when we talk about the role of United Arab Emirates uh, to to kind of get an idea of what's going on, uh, on in in the region and and why is this happening and why this is why is this so important to us as Muslims and specifically as Muslims in the West. Um, without getting into too much of history, I think it's essential to understand that the Gulf region has been blessed with. You know, with oil, which means a lot of money, and that means a lot of uh, political influence uh, in the region. And unfortunately, um, as we know, the majority of the Muslim region, uh, spe- especially in the, in the Middle East, in the Arab countries, have been ruled by you know dictators and tyrants for as, as since the so-called uh, post-colonial uh, era, uh, where you have uh, national liberation, and then you have uh, national leaders reading the countries. Unfortunately, since colonialism so-called ended in the region Um, we have people who continued the legacy of colonialism they just continued it with a new face a new national face into these countries you know a new face but same policies as colonialism Um, the issue is that the gulf region especially after you know we we find out or the west find out about the oil has been utilized initially for for the resources for the oil later on uh when once the west especially the united states find out that you know we have to deal with the muslims because we have to understand before the, the the second world war the u.s was not very interested in the middle east at all uh, they get in, interested in the middle east uh after most of the second world war when they start realizing and start learning about the oil when the brits uh were you know going down a the drain their their colonialism and, and their empires collapsing they started paying attention to the middle east before that, they didn't care. They didn't know anything about the Middle East. So what happened there is eventually, especially in the 60s, uh, when the U.S. was dealing with, uh, you know, the so-called the the, the the communist threat in the majority of the world, uh, they realized that they can use Saudi Arabia, at least uh, its government, its teaching of a specific version of uh, of Islam and a lot of people accuse Wahhabi Islam, and, and I, I, don't think it's the issue is Wahhabi Islam or Muhammad Abdul Wahhab and his his teachings. I think that the 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 actual regime of Saudi Arabia is the problem, and I think what was happening uh, starting in the sixties and the seventies, and this is very documented in the Congress and Noam Chomsky talked about it in his book Understanding Power. He talked about how the United States used the Saudi Arabia as uh, uh, along with Iran before the revolution uh, with the Shah and Israel as a tripartite uh, system in the region where you have uh, Israel protecting both Iran and and, and Saudi Arabia from the it called them the, national, the nationalists and specifically at that time they were talking about Jamal Abdel Nasser and the rest of you know the Arab uh, nationalists uh, so the role of Saudi Arabia at that time was specifically to provide a version of Islam that is that is okay with with colonialism, that is okay with Western hegemony by attacking co- communism and socialism and national liberation movements, and their accusations for Jamal Abdel Nasser. And again, I'm, I'm not a fan of Jamal Abdel Nasser. I think he was a he was a corrupt leader who oppressed his people, without a doubt. But that doesn't neglect the reality, which is he, whether it was by rhetoric or or by some actual convictions believed in some kind of liberation for his country, for Egypt and the region. Uh, Saudi Arabia played the card of Islam to say that this guy is a communist, so we cannot support him. We as Muslims cannot support, etc. So that was developed. That was, by what,
1: that was what provoked that war that led them into Yemen, into uh, North Yemen, which is funny because North Yemen is important today. Just absolutely. as Saudi Arabia used Yemen against Abdel Nasser, they're using Yemen today as well, too. And that's why they called northern Yemen al-Makbara like the uh, graveyard of the invaders, because Gamal, Gamal's army suffered heavy losses in, in Yemen because of that.
2: No, absolutely. You're, you're right. And, and 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 later on, that evolved after specifically uh, during the the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. And everybody is aware of this. This is not a secret, but CIA did actually train the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Uh, and they did fundraise for them here in the United States of America. We know Sheikh Abdullah Azam used to come to the United States of America, collect funds for the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that the Mujahideen were stooges to the U.S., absolutely not. I'm, just, I'm saying that the U.S. was, was okay with them fighting uh, Russia's uh, Russian empire in Afghanistan and the, and, and the uh, uh, occupation of, of, of Afghanistan, because it served their interest. And the Mujahideen realized that, and they talked about it. Azam mentioned that, you know, while we accept the support, we don't condone American imperialism. So I think both parts, both, both parties, you know, played along because everyone was benefiting from this. So, and the Saudi Arabia again was was developing uh, booklets and books and, and rhetoric about the importance of jihad in Afghanistan and, and talked about jihad for a long time. But that was weird because few decades ago when Jamal Abdel Nasser was in charge, they were against fighting Western hegemony and Western imperialism. But in Afghanistan, it was okay because we're fighting we're fighting communism and we're not fighting capitalism and imperialism. So that's kind of the role has been of, of, of the Gulf. Now, recently, uh, specifically after the, uh, se- the September 11 attacks, uh, there has been a lot of talks, and it, you know, all of us Muslims in the U.S. I, you know, I came to the U.S. in 2004, so I did not feel what Muslims felt here at, uh, in in uh, in the aftermath of September 11 attacks. Uh, but the so-called war and terror campaign affected every single Muslim, whether in the, in the West or overseas, because it tackled or, you know, it evolved it evolved into dividing Muslims into the so-called good Muslim and bad Muslim. And the good Muslim is the Muslim who's okay with Western hegemony, who's okay with—and when I mean by he- Western hegemony, I mean— by you know Western powers went to control the world in ideology, in in in, in economy, and 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 most importantly in in, in political uh, you know domination. They want to dominate the world through these aspects. Uh, so so what so that was the definition of good Muslim that you can you accept imperialism, you accept colonialism, you accept Western way of life. And if you're a bad Muslim, if you reject it and you say, no, I'm a Muslim, I have my own way of life, I have my own train of thoughts, and I resist any foreign occupation to my land, then you automatically considered a bad Muslim. And that evolved eventually into uh, a different terminology and different ways of doing it. George W. Bush was, was very explicit about you're either with us or against us rhetoric, but then Obama liberalized that into... You know, the good Muslim and bad Muslim, the modern, the modernist Muslim and the traditional Muslim, the backward Muslim and the the fundamentalist Muslim. And he did push the Muslims, especially in the United States and America, to choose a side. And that's why sociologists and those experts in the assimilation uh, theories in, 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 in new, especially in the Western uh, world argued that after September 11 Muslims have s- started mobilizing in something called defensive mobilization, meaning that the majority of their work, the majority of their activism has been focused at proving that they are Americans to prove that they're loyal to America. And if Eventually, that led them into accepting things that otherwise would not be been accepted. Issues like war in Iraq, war in Afghanistan, capitalism, social issues that we see a lot of debates nowadays, because they need to prove that they are part of the society. Um, so that is the the, the, the evolution of, of these ideas of how Muslims and Islam has been uh, exploited or uh, is being attacked by Western powers uh, to basically expand their interests. Now, where it becomes interesting, and I don't want uh, uh, con- to take too long of this, but really quickly, is where it becomes really interesting, and I think that's the conversation of today, following the so-called war on terror campaign that established that was, that was created in 2001, the United Arab Emirates, has been playing a pivotal role in that campaign, starting from uh, the Rand Corporation, which is a think tank, funded by the US Army, they came out with few uh, papers. And when I say a think tank, I don't mean just a think tank that is irrelevant. No, this is very, very relevant. It's funded by the army, it's taken very seriously, it's very well respected in the, by the Pentagon and by that US administration. And they were saying that we need to tackle Muslim, so-called terrorists, through dividing Muslims into four categories, the modernists, or they started this way: fundamentalists, traditionalists, modernists, and secularist. Fundamental fundamentalists, of course, are the the qaida and the you know these people who are they know that the people reject them no, no matter what. You have to traditionalists, which is the most dangerous uh, uh component to them, who are the you know so-called Islamists or political Islamists or or political Islam. And their issue is that they know that the fundamentalists don't have much support in the Muslim community anywhere in the world. There are a few people who, you know, they do their thing. But the majority of the part of of people who are engaged in politics are okay with political Islam or so-called Islamists because they know that they're invoking the political aspect of Islam to seek not only liberation, but actual uh, an Islamic uh, uh, mindset or uh, Islamic vision of our countries or our the Muslim ummah. And of course, the last two, which is the modernists and the secularists, the West, uh, or at least that, that report talked about the secularists are not our, they're our allies, but we should not invest too much in them because they're exposed, they're burnt out. However, the modernists are the problem, because uh, are not a pro- they're a problem to us, but they're amazing for the American empire because they're the ones who come and say, we are Muslims, but yet we have to modernize the religion. We have to be moderate about certain things. And this is where the U.S. started investing in the so-called moderate Islam and, and investing so much. And this is where the United, Emirate, United Arab Emirates started spearheaded, spearheading that, that uh, campaign of running so-called moderate uh, Islam since then.
0: So now it seems like there's a, a convergence of alliances happening in the Middle East, at least in the past few years. you are seeing it much more uh, noticeable than years past you always thought that you know as long as these guys are all selling oil they're all part of opec they're going to move together in a block but now you're seeing more um, um well more disunity i guess uh in terms of how they're dealing with with qatar and i, I wanted you to explain to listeners a little bit about how kind of qatar broke away from the favor of saudi arabia and uae and how Then and also, where does Iran come in all all this? In in terms of so we have we're seeing there's like a growing Iranian influence. There Iran is um, gains a certain level of influence with Syria, the Lebanon, and uh, and within some parts of Yemen as well. And how Saudi Arabia has viewed uh, Qatar uh as a maybe as a cause of some of this some of the the reasons why the arab spring happened so can you break that all down to us so that some of the viewers can understand or some of the younger listeners can understand what's actually happening in the middle east
2: yeah sure i mean look the gcc which is the gulf um coalition of of the of the gulf countries um has been always led by the saudi arabia uh bahrain emirates Uh, Kuwait, Oman, have always been followers to Saudi Saudi Arabia. Um, They never are allowed to leave the the political uh, guidelines or framework of what Saudi Arabia provides to them. Now, Qatar, since the 90s when it created Al-Jazeera, it it started realizing, uh, because you have to understand, in the 90s, Saudi Arabia tried to stage a coup against the previous emir, the, the, the father emir. Uh, in the ninety-five to ninety-six, they they actually planned they they planned they plotted the whole coup against him, because against they realized that he was uh, uh, not can, very can against the that? father Amir. Who so Saudi Arabia? Um, you know, uh, in the ninety-five to ninety-six, they planned an actual uh uh coup against uh the the amir of of qatar not tamim his father hamad okay his father hamad the father the
0: listeners are looking at qatar right now qatar is the the thing that kind of looks like a mini version of michigan it's kind of sticking out of saudi arabia so um that that is what they're seeing right now And, and go ahead i'm sorry to interrupt you
2: no, no worries. Qatar is very tiny. It's very, very, very tiny. I've been there a couple of times. It's, it's besides the actual Doha, like besides that, the majority of people live in the capital. Besides that, it's like very tiny uh, country. Uh, but the people of Qatar are known to be, you know, they're known to be saving the, uh, I don't know, uh, I forget the term in Arabic, but they're known to be taking care of. Anybody who seeks refuge in in their in their country, and that that's not about the Gulf overall, but in Qatar, I think, it's a special case. Uh, but because of the coup that happened in Qatar, the, the attempt to do a coup in Qatar, uh, Qatar, I think, did not realize that they cannot continue to be subordinate for the Saudi Arabia, and they start thinking outside the box. What do we do? And that was at the end of uh, you know uh, you know, in there was a lot of Arab. Journalist in London, I think they were working for BBC Arabic uh, Radio, and a, a lot of them were laid out or something. Something happened that uh, that Qatar took advantage of that that journalist vacuum that existed, and created uh, the channel Al Jazeera. And since then, they've been pushing uh, a lot of rhetoric that you know uh, Saudi Arabia was not happy with because Saudi Arabia had some kind of domination in term uh, uh, in terms of what does or what do the Arab. Uh, people read. But because of Al Jazeera, it was was a new thing, because, you know, Jazeera's motto or slogan is like the opinion and the opposite, basically giving a free speech and whatnot. So that's not, it was was something new to the region. It was something new that Saudi Arabia was not happy with, because it felt like Qatar is going outside of its realm of what is allowed to do politically. Uh, And I think this is where the tension started. However, things were going not that bad uh because they were they understood that we just need to under you know be on the same page and eventually you know qatar built a huge airport it realized that the airport was big so it gave it to the u.s army and the army is using it as a as a um uh, what do you call it um a u.s base it's one of the biggest uh, u.s bases in the world and of course many people criticize qatar for that including sheikh Qaradawi uh you know but that's a different case but i think politically qatar, Provided that base to the U.S. to protect it from any eventual uh, threat by Saudi Arabia, because you know. Yeah, so correct- so,
1: he, so here's the thing, because people don't realize this, but Hamad actually took power from his father while he was in exile and vacation in, in Geneva. Right. Right. And so then, um, uh, the, while he in 1996 there was a there was a coup against him that uh, uh, attempted coup, and during that where he it didn't it, would, it, it didn't succeed, but that's when the Saudis were. Uh, were found in the connection with that. So I think Hamad said, you know what, there's no way I can compete with a military and uh, or, or, you know with the surrounding Gulf nations because they had a head start over me. So what he did was he brokered a deal and built an airport and said, listen, I will trust my sovereignty with the US and say, you know what, you defend me. You can have these bases, you can do what you want to do, um, and then you can defend me. And this was a, a, a strategic moment because um, the war in Iraq was done now. Right. And as we know that the war in Iraq launched from the Saudi air bases in Dharan. And so now what, what they were trying to do is the, the American, I mean, the Saudis were now trying to get this, the Americans off the land and the Americans knew that. And so what was the option? It kind of worked hand in hand. Qatar said, you know, we'll build you, we'll build you an airbase. And they said, fine, great. And so they exchanged their own sovereignty. I mean, really, I guess their own military for American protection. And so that's how Qatar has been so long been able to avoid um, you know any type of escalation with uh, its neighbors like UAE and um, Saudi Arabia, and that's why you find now that Saudi is really pissed off now, and they're attempting to take bids to like dig a trench that would effectively se- separate. Um, it would make Qatar. You know, Hath- Hath- yeah, it would make Qatar Hath- into an island. An island, exactly, isolate them.
2: So I think you know. <clears throat> Just to uh, fast, forward, fast uh, forward a little bit, um, given that context, which which is important, but I think it, it all turned into a nightmare after the Arab Spring in 2010-2011. I think Qatar uh, and Al Jazeera chose to be uh, with the people on the ground. Basically, they decided that they, they I don't want to say they supported the revolutions, but they gave platform to evolutionary men and women to be to speak up and, and to stand with you know uh, to stand up with them basically in, in their in their revolt against the ter- their tyrants I think that was a pivotal point in what we see today. Um, and the biggest the biggest the biggest issue and i think this is what we kind of i know what we're going to be discussing today mostly is when the united Arab emirates started uh escalating its process of of working towards uh, so-called moderate islam and uh, the reason i'm saying this is just want to give a little bit of context is that the the the, the figure here that we're going to um, i want to highlight a little bit is abdullah ibn Abiyya, Sheikh abdullah ibn Nabiya. and Abiyya, Sheikh abdullah ibn Nabiya is very important to in this conversation because those who I know, uh, Dr. Muhammad uh, Ghilan talked about him a little bit, and and, and I understand the personal relationship between them. But I think there's some uh, some arguments or some historical context was missing here. So Abdullah Sheikh Abdullah Abdullah was not a, a political classic scholar that who's not involved in politics. As a matter of fact, in the in the 80s and the 70s, he was very involved in Mauritania political uh, uh, arena. He was he was I think uh, the the minister of religious affairs at one point. He was a religious of of education, he was very involved in the government. He was he was a political scholar uh, that was involved in the day to day life, and then he migrated to Saudiya and he migrated to Emirates, and he started being involved with the uh, bin Zayed father. Um, and everything was going smooth until 2010, 2011, As some of us, I, I, the, the problem is a lot of the people, a lot of people don't know that Sheikh Abdullah ibn Nabiya was actually part of the International Union of, of Muslim Scholars, which is led by Sheikh Qaradawi. You know, f- last month he was resigned, and, and, and Sheikh Ras, Ras, Rasuni is now in charge. But before that, Sheikh Qaradawi was the president of that union, and Sheikh Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Nabiya was the vice president of that union for many, many years. So, the, the, and this is important in this conversation because, you know, th- there is a political game here. And it, and it goes as follows. From 2010-2011 to 2013, that's two years and a half, in, specifically in, in July-August 2013, you have the, uh, the Muslim Union, the international, Muslim, uh, the international Union of Muslim Scholars, which is the Atahad al muslimin led by Sheikh Qaradawi, have been making a lot of remarks, a lot of comments, making uh, a lot of statements in favor of the Arab Spring, in favor of the revolutions, in favor of the youth, and standing against the tyrants, against the Arab dictators, for two years and a half. And Sheikh Abdullah Nubiya was the vice president, and he never made any comment that is in opposition. Of the official position of the of the uh, 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 scholars uh, union. So let's let's assume here, because he never opposed to it, that he wasn't. I don't want to say in favor, but he was following the guidelines or following the, the, the talking points for uh, uh, the the Muslim uh, uh, scholars union uh, that led by Sheikh Qardawi. Now, after the coup in in Egypt in uh, uh, July 2013 and especially after the the massacre of Rabaa in August 14, 2013, we've witnessed a huge shift here. Sheikh Abdullah ibn Nabiya resigned from the National Union of of Muslim Scholars, and he started with the help of the Emirates, fully funded, fully facilitated, fully institutionalized by the uh, United Arab Emirates, the so-called Council of Muslim Elders, or uh, Majlis al-Masai al-Muhammad, Al, uh, al, uh, I'm, I'm missing that name. Basically, it, the name of it in English is Muslim uh, Council of, uh, of uh, Majlis Hukama Al Muslimin, uh, the Muslim Council of Elders. And that council was created as a way to replace the international union of muslim scholars and that majlis since it started that council since it started it has been in favor of all political views of the united arab emirates and what's even more interesting here is that let's say abdullah ibn Abiyyah did not agree with uh sheikh qaradawi in his view on 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 the arab spring let's say why would he leave sheikh qaradawi and go all the way to Emirat, get fully funded to create an opposing, uh, an opposing uh, council to replace, or not, I don't want to say replace, but to be in competition of what the, the rhetoric of the International uh, Union of Muslim Scholars. And that was the headquarter of this new council, the Muslim Council of Elders, is actually Abu Dhabi. is, is basically in Emirat, And Emirates, we know, not only was it involved directly in the, in the, in the Egyptian coup, in the military coup in Egypt, but it was funding uh, 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 counter-revolutionary forces in Yemen, in Syria, in Libya, in Egypt, in even Tunisia. And even in Palestine in 2006, you know, United, United uh, Arab Emirates funded Mahmoud Dahlan to overthrow the elected government of Hamas in 2006. So why would he move
1: from hey, let's one... Let's pause here for a minute, for a second, just so people put this into perspective. Um, um, the UAE didn't want to have Mohammed Morsi in power in Egypt because this follows a narrative that, this, along with the Saudis, that these people are Ikhwan al-Muslimin. And they didn't want them to be, to gain power um, because this goes back to some of the ideas that um, essentially when you have a strong movement like that in Egypt, um, that, that is a direct threat to any of the monarchies, right? Because they have to follow, they, that is a revolutionary process that had a, a democratically elected um, you know, president. And that, when they see that kind of movement and success, that troubles them because they spent a good portion of the 70s and 80s after Juhayman al-Athabi trying to eradicate anybody taking over the kingdom in Saudi Arabia. A lot of these people in the UAE, and that's why even the GCC was even formed in the first place. If you think about it, you have all the monarchies, and then now they've included Jordan, and they've included Morocco. They are not G- they're not Gulf countries, but why are they part of the GCC? Economically and even strategically, Why? because they are monarchies. And they know that monarchies need to stick together in that region in order to survive. Otherwise, if one falls, it spreads like a wildfire. And so with that in mind, the UAE did not want, along with Saudi Arabia and some of the other uh, monarchies, did not want um, Mohamed Morsi to succeed in power. And we know for a fact that Saudi Arabia pledged billions of dollars to uh, Sisi in order to take power. Because one of the biggest concerns that CC had was whoever was going to take over power after Morsi was who was going to rebuild the country, who was going to keep the country economically stable. Because we know that if a country doesn't have money, the people will always revolt, right? Because the condition is so bad that you can't control them. So what did Saudi Arabia do along with the other gulfs? They infused money into the Egyptian economy and they paid off the right people. And that's why we have a government that we have today in Egypt. And so this is kind of a backdrop of why um, the UAE is so much against, um, you know, the 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 um, the old president or, or the um, Mohammed Morsi in Egypt. And this is why perhaps um, also they might have been shunning Qaradawi because Qaradawi was very open about the revolution in Egypt. He said, you know what, they should do it. You know, they should go out and and, and, and get their rights, essentially. And I think that troubled um, some of the yeah, leaders, yeah, in the Pradoghi
0: was were very popular on Al Jazeera as well. So, they're, they're, yeah, and uh, you know it's I mean, very
1: funny to, since you mentioned this too. I don't know if you remember, but Sheikh Adnan Al Aruri he actually disappeared after the Syrian revolution. He was calling for, it I think, something, something didn't mesh right with the other rulers in the, in, in, in 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 the Khalij But um, he was very open and vocal about the revolution in Syria. But I think when he returned back to some of the Gulf countries, uh, he you know he kind of had to uh, you know go silent a little bit.
3: Sure. Hey, Roger. I got a couple of questions. Um, the International Council that uh, Sheikh Khalid is the head of, um, is it backed by a certain government, or is it kind of independent in that way? And then the other question I had was, why does Qatar, the other Gulf countries have monarchies? Um, why does the Qatari government? Why are they okay with like the Arab Spring? Wouldn't they have this? Wouldn't they think about the same dilemma that, you know, or
0: yeah? yeah. Did Roger tell them about the the strong? But connection that they have with uh, the Muslim Brotherhood Juan
2: yeah I mean look I, I, I'm not I'm not <coughs> excuse me I'm not I'm not here um to defend Qatar I, you know I, I definitely think Qatar has a lot of issues and I definitely think that Qatar made mistakes and definitely until today I'm not okay with you know Qatar having an, an American military base in, in there without a doubt and nobody again uh, just to be very clear you know while I personally appreciate Al Jazeera because I know it did a lot to to Muslims and Arabs in Palestine, but I am still critical of certain things that they do. No, nobody's perfect, without a doubt, and they have their own interest, they have their own agenda. However, the issue here is 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 nobody's speaking of perfection. We're speaking of reality. Uh, you know, the Islamic Union of Muslim Scholars is it is an independent uh, union, without a doubt, but that doesn't mean that it's not supported by you know governments here and there, individuals here and there. However, we have to look at what we see from them, and what we see from them has always been an independent uh, position towards Muslims. And I think you know, uh, Mahin mentioned something very important: Why would Qatar support the Muslim Brotherhood, support the revolutions if they themselves are not even democratic? If they themselves are, you know, not follow- they, they do not have any elections in Qatar until today. And the the answer to that is is honestly is is not very complicated because Qatar itself is. It, if you visit Qatar or Emirates or any of these countries, you can see that, that life there is different. Politics is a little bit different. In Qatar, people have more freedom to do things than the rest of the region, uh, the rest of the Uh, countries uh qatar overall the amir of qatar and the fact that he uh you know kind of resigned to let his son take over it was a sign for from him to others that you see i'm not i'm not you know holding down uh to a 30 or to power still he gave it to his son it's 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 a a different case i don't i don't think it's a hundred percent democratic or islamic but yet he he moved away but qatar said it many times, that they're very uh, confident with themselves and they're confident with their people. They um, say that, you know, Qatar is a a different context, according to them, I'm I'm just saying their argument, that they're not, they're part of tribal and part of families that live in together and they have their own assessment and they have their own agreement together. Because Qatar, the main families that are running Qatar are usually given the imara, which is the current Tamim bin Hamad, and then you have the uh, uh, the previous uh, foreign minister. He was actually from the other big family in Qatar, and you know uh, uh, the previous Amir Amir Hamad was married to that big other family. So there's a lot of you know a lot of politics, a lot of f- familiar tribal things happening in Qatar. It's different than a country like Egypt. Egypt, you can't have a tribal ruling in in uh, in, in Egypt. Again, I'm not legitimizing and not justifying their lack of democratic process and other. I'm just explaining what they usually argue. Now Imarat on the other hand, Imarat has a fundamental issue with Islamism and that is the biggest issue with Immarat. With, 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 uh, with and this is why they 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 were against Muhammad Mursi, not just because he's a, you know of course they don't want anybody who's democratically elected, but also because he's an Islamist because Imarat understands that the only ones who are ready and 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 have been planning. I don't want to say planning, but ready and qualified to run a state are the Islamists, and they know that any uh, uh, clear elections, unbiased elections, there will be uh, uh, the Islamists, specifically Muslim Brotherhood, will be elected, and that happened in Egypt, that happened in Tunisia, that would happen for the majority, even in Morocco. Uh, so they know this, and they are afraid that if they don't um, uh, curb the Islamists. If they don't eradicate the Muslim Brotherhoods, that eventually that will undermine their ruling of emirates. And emirate position politically is very connected to Western uh, colonial powers. You know, you know, Dubai and and, and emirate is not prosperous because, you know, people are so great there, but because they want to turn Emirates into the new Singapore, as they always say. They want to create a model in the region that tells Muslims and Arabs in the region that let go of your resistance, let go of your rejecting of Western hegemony, and will turn your country just like Dubai or like Emirates. So there's a lot of things at play here. So this relationship... And this is why Qatar, uh, and again, I think it's important to mention that part of the blockade against Qatar last year, that started last year, was precisely for this. The Emirates realized that Qatar has been supporting the Muslim Brotherhood. Again, I'm, I, I'm not saying the Qatar doesn't have their own agenda, but they're clearly supporting the Arab Revolution. They're, they they did uh, uh, take care of a lot of uh, youth into bringing them to Qatar and you know give them jobs and whatnot. And they, they've funded you know and helped many of the nonprofits, many of the charity, and they helped people in, in Egypt and everywhere else. And they supported the Muslim Brotherhood in, in whenever they needed help. So, Emirat understands that Qatar provides two th- three things, mostly. They provide money for the revolutionaries. They provide media access by giving them Al Jazeera and, and giving it as a platform. And number three is a political support to them, whether in the UN, in the international arena, for Qatar to kind of lobby for, for uh, democracy, for instance, or for the support of Islamism. And this is why it's dangerous uh, what's happening? what's happening in the emirates and this so-called uh, forum to promote peace in muslim societies is very dangerous because within two couple of days after the blockade was created uh, or was st- started last year the forum that bin Bia is heading made a statement a very harsh statement that criticized qatar and called qatar to follow the lead of emirates and saudiya so you're saying and this was argued last time in the podcast that there is no political he, you know, Sheikh Abdullah bin Biya is not serving any political agenda for the Emirate. As a matter of fact, he is. By the mere creation of the Muslim Council of Elders right after the Rabak uh, uh, massacre and after the coup in Egypt. And a few days after the, the blockade against Qatar, you have uh, this forum that is, that is headed by Sheikh Abdullah bin Biya, the vice president is Hamza bin Yusuf. They made a statement, very harsh statement, and you anybody can Google it and find it, uh, criticizing Qatar and accusing Qatar of supporting terrorism. And what happened in 2014, Emirates came out with a list designated majority of mainstream Muslim organizations in the West as terrorist organizations, including CARE, including MAS, and including other organizations here, and Islamic Relief International, like crazy, crazy, you know, accusations. So all of that is systemi- is systematically planned to get to the point where Qatar is accused of supporting terrorism, and who are the terrorists here? The terrorists are anybody who identifies as Islamist. So the qualification for the term terrorist is defined by Emirates. And if you follow every single forum that Sheikh Abdullah bin Bih and Hamza Yusuf plan in the Emirates, the foreign minister of Emirates, who is Abdullah bin Zaid, the brother of Hamad bin Zaid, is always in the inauguration and always speaks in a tone that, we launched this conference, we planned this conference, we're doing with this conference. Literally, you can check every single inauguration of these conferences. So clearly, while some argue that this conference is done by Abdu- Sheikh Abdullah bin bin Bia and he just needs the f- the funds from the Emirate, it's absolutely not true. Because not only is it funded, it's supported by the media, it's supported by the government, and it's being used as a way to legitimize the Emirate as pr- pu- as pushing something called peace versus Qatar, who's who's pushing something terrorism, and that terrorism is anybody who identifies as Islamism. So and- there's also something here that
1: people also may not realize, and that is that out of the khalij Countries, there's maybe two countries that have a working relationship with Iran, and one of them is is Qatar, and the other one is Oman. And so the the, the Saudi Arabia hates the fact that they're they're riding on the fence. And be, well, they because look, they share oil under you know underwater oil fields, and so they have some type of working relationship. And what other people don't realize is what they're mad about is that people don't 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 know this as well either is that. The UAE also works with Iran, because what they'll do is because of the blockade that's happening, embargoes against Iran. Iran will sell oil to the UAE as, and the UAE will export it as oil extracted from Abu Dhabi, but it will be it's unmarked oil, right? No one's going to question Abu Dhabi and say, "Where did you get your oil from?" They knew that, you know, they, they have oil fields, and. Um, they have and and anyone who's been to Dubai who lives there knows that regularly there are airline flights that go a specific airway called Quiche Airways. It goes from uh, Dubai to actually to Quiche Islands in Iran. It's a tourist spot for a lot of the Khaliji. They go there and they come out. They come in and out. It's like a free zone for them. But they don't like the fact that Qatar doesn't have the same harsh stance towards uh, towards Iran. And the reason why that's a problem is. And this is kind of, I'm going to kind of segue into some of the reasons why, you know, Yemen was brought up and things like that, but why Saudi Arabia is, is, is in Yemen. While I don't agree with the Saudis or the Emiratis in this, but I cannot ignore the fact that the Houthis in Yemen are a problem for anyone in the Khaleej, um, because I view the Houthis personally as, um, as like the Hezbollah of, 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 of Saudi Arabia. Now... They have an alliance with, with Iran in a sense that, um, that they, they are going to try to bring in that Iranian influence into, um, into Yemen. And if that happens, that is a very dangerous thing for the, for the GCC because on the other side of Yemen, if you go to Aden, you have the Red Sea. If somehow they could work out control in Yemen, they could potentially block off a waterways to Saudi Arabia. By closing off the Red Sea, I mean, you know, uh, in the Red Sea, you literally, you have the Horn of Africa, you have Somalia, and you have Yemen, right? In the middle, there's there's out of Mukalla, you have Sogotra, um, you have the island, and so if they can effectively control that, that worries Saudi Arabia, because Saudi Arabia now is like, wait a minute, we have the Persian Gulf up top, and now if they have control over the Red Sea, that's problematic for us. They're putting a chokehold on us. It's kind of like what America does to China in in the Pacific Rim. Right. They move their, their ships So, yeah, the, the, the South Chinese Sea. And so they don't want that to happen there. While I'm not justifying what Saudi Arabia is doing, but I can understand why they're very worried about um, Qatar trying to uh, maybe being friendly with with Iran. Um, but at the same time, let's make no mistake about it. They don't. Um, Iran doesn't care about Shiite Islam and Saudi Arabia doesn't care about Sunni Islam. This is a purely political power move. They're, they're fighting over territorial rights um, and they're fighting over who's going to emerge as a, 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 a um, regional power in that region. It's not going to be Qatar. It's not going to be UAE. It's not going to be Bahrain. It's not going to be Oman. It's literally between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And so what Saudi Arabia is effectively doing is saying either you side with us or you side with Iran. And they're making Qataris look like they are some kind of Iranian agents and that they're working for them, and they're trying to undermine all the work that, they, that the other GCC members have been doing for a long time. And Qatar has outright denied this and said, listen, we have a working relationship because we have mutual economic interests because of oil, but we also hold your position that we don't want Iran taking over territory in the, in the Gulf or in, in Yemen as well. But they, um, but Saudi, for their own reasons, they don't want to acknowledge that, uh, and they have... You know, they came out recently with a, a, uh, a dossier that, oh, uh, Qatar has been involved in financing ISIS and financing, um, you know, um, uh, the Iranian, uh, the Houthis as well, too. But if you look at the number one criticism of them, of Qatar, it is what? It is uh, aligning with the Muslim Brotherhood. And the other thing you forget to mention is uh, that they support Hamas. Right. And so who does, that, who does that annoy the most in that region? It annoys the Israelis. Right. The Israelis are very upset that, uh, for example, Abu Mazen can go to Qatar freely and stay there, right, and, and regroup, right? That bothers them. And right now we know the Saudis and the Emiratis are making, getting kind of comfy and cozy with Israelis, right? They, they, because they realize that, hey, you know what? If we want to be good with America, we got to be good with Israel Israel too. Otherwise, we're not going to have that the benefits of it. And so um, um, I think a lot of people are not realizing that, there, there, there is some legitimacy in Saudi Arabia being concerned about the Houthis at the border, but I think they're using this as an as an opportunity to
0: also carry out other agendas that they have. Raja, would you agree with that assessment, or do you do? Would you have any no, reservations? I,
2: <clears throat> no, I I agree definitely that there is a geopolitical uh, war between you know um, between Iran and Saudia, but I I. I I think it, it's 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 beyond that because Emirates right now have their own interest in the region. They have geopolitical interests, for instance, in Somalia. Uh, if you ask any Somali right now, uh, Emirates has been in, it, trying to infiltrate Somalia by bringing so-called, you know, uh, human aid and, and money and whatnot because they want to take over the Berbera uh, port. And the Berbera port in 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 that region is very important because it controls. Um, the shipping uh, routes and that coming from through uh, the Red Sea. So it, it, there is a lot of geopolitical issues that go beyond that goes that go beyond just the Iran uh, Saudia binary. I think uh, or the, uh, the dichotomy because Emirates itself until until today they do a lot of business with Qatar. I think as you know I agree with more, that there, it's it's been used against Qatar as a, as a as a rhetoric basically to you know and, and Saudia is trying to use the rhetoric of sunni islam versus shia islam to win geopolitical wars straight up it's not you know i agree with with mort here that they don't care too much about sunnism they care more about their their interest and and to stay in power however i i i definitely think that the the biggest issue here we're facing, besides the geopolitical uh, war that it's happening, which is true, is the process of uh, providing so-called progressive and moderate Islam. I think that's what's happening, and that should be, uh, in my humble opinion, I think this should be focused at least for us here in the West, because it's definitely affecting us in the West. Yeah. And the reason. And go
3: ahead. I, I was I, I was going to ask you a follow up question, but finish your point.
2: Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so um,
3: basically, first of all, I'm offended. Uh, that Mort and Raja both believe that His Highness Malik Salman does not care about the sunnah. He obviously does. So I would retract your statements. Otherwise, <laughs> you are someone of innovation.
2: Yes. So you know what? <laughs>
1: thing, let me let me remind you something. Um, Ibn Abdul Bar, he said something very interesting. It says, uh, mm-hmm. So what he's saying is basically that um, be careful uh, the worst... <laughs> The worst rulers are the ones who are far from the scholars mm. and the worst scholars are the ones who are near to the rulers so you have to think about that a little bit
3: and he's a Ma- because he's a maliki i'll follow that anyways you actually really enlightening the talk by the way on the history of the uh emirates and how the um cause I, I'm, I, I don't really like read up at the stuff like I'm, I'm not as woke as mort is on like middle east politics but like It's obviously rational why the Emirati government does not want the Muslim Brotherhood. Because if I'm like a prince or if I'm Mohammed bin Zayed, I'm like, yo, I got power. Why do I want these dudes in here disturbing the peace? I don't want to pest my family members. Right. And then more correct me if I'm wrong, Dubai isn't it's like right now it's it's, the economy works of tourism. It's not like the oil isn't really there, right?
1: single-handedly funded by Abu Dhabi. Without a blobby's oil, right? It would have, yeah, it would have been broke in 2008. They literally sunk themselves down under. Let me give you this way only 11% of the people in Dubai are locals. Can you imagine that? Yeah. 11% of the population in Dubai is local. The rest of them, I think 50 or 60% are like um, Pakistani and Indian. And then you have like Malaysians and and, uh, uh, Filipino. But to give you an extent, that this area mainly is, is, was set up so um, there were a lot of foreign companies that came in. They have tons of free zones. If you go to Dubai, they have the gold and, and, um, and diamond free zone. They have media free zones. They have telecom free zones. They have um, uh, the um, uh, different types of free zones they have. And the idea was that we would bring offshore companies here to set up with tax incentives and they could do whatever they want to do. And that's why for a long time in Dubai, anybody could go there and open up a bank account without any ID, nothing. You could go in there and they have tons of these offshore banks that have no, um, there's literally no ATM. There's no office. It's just some guy that says you have an account and you're moving money around and that's it. And then after uh, 2001, after 9-11 and the whole investigations into uh, funding terror and things like that, they had to... um, you know, uh, become stricter on their banking laws. Um, but beforehand, it was very easy. That's why after 2008, um, when everything went downhill, if you go to the airport, when I was living there, you go to the airport, you will find there are Bentleys, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, exotic cars sitting there in the in, in the airport parking lot with dust, haven't been moved in a year. Yeah, I heard about because, that. Because people just looked dipped. Yeah, people who were scamming money and owed people money they just got in there. They took a, uh, their cars to the airport, drove themselves there. They didn't even trust getting in a cab to be, because they didn't want to be found. They left their, their their cars at the airport and they never came back. And because in um, um, they were very worried about what would happen because they were involved in money laundering. They were involved in even some of them were financial. I mean, they were, they were financing terrorism. I mean, there is a lot of money movement that was happening in Dubai at this moment. So, so yes, you're right. Um, Dubai is is a place that was really surviving on foreign um, business and foreign tourism, and mainly on the fact that uh, um, Abu Dhabi was there as the big brother. Because if you remember, um, it was called Burj Al Arab before, right? Um, um, and I'm sorry, um, uh, what was it called? Not, not Burj Al Arab. Um, what was uh, Burj Khalifa called before? There was a different name for it before, I forgot, but they renamed it because Abu Dhabi bailed them out. They Man. they weren't broke. They couldn't They couldn't finish it. So they had to actually put his name on it in an honor, but... But that was the that was how bad it got.
3: Okay, so do you guys agree though that it's from a purely like let's take Islam out of the like because they're they're not really practicing Islam really like the the leaders. Uh, I don't think the leaders. The rationale isn't it rational for the leaders to act the way they're acting to shut down the Brotherhood?
1: I mean, if you are a secular person and you want to – I mean, if you want to be a dictator and you want to be authoritarian, yeah, I mean, it's the right move. If you want to be like Kim Jong and you want to just shut people down, yeah, I mean, that that would be the smart thing to do. But the problem with that is that eventually that ends up biting you in the rear end because what's going to happen is people get sick and tired. And what happens is um, eventually, you know, you have uh, something spill over like it does in Syria, like it does in – You know, like it does in in Egypt or other places like that. Um, And and so ultimately, whether those revolutions were successful or not is irrelevant. The problem is that it happens and people die and people and and the country gets destroyed. Right. And that will happen eventually if you keep living like that.
3: So the question then, Raja, is how how do we then rationalize? Like, why why would Sheikh Bin Beya get behind this effort? What, what, What are your thoughts on that? I think that's what we're really trying to get to. Right like right, understanding he right. he's an oh, he, he's probably close to his 80s right uh we talked dr gadlan talked at length about his accomplishments as far as islamic scholarship goes the other day but like how do we
2: understand this like why is he behind this effort yeah that that's very important and i and i agree with your question uh, earlier <clears throat> i think imarat and i think uh, agree with mort here they're following the machiavelli model which is you know that anything, uh, anything justified, the, the end justifies the means. To, to them, it's about power. To them, it's about money. To them, about their own interests and their own agenda. End of story. Uh, they don't care about Islam. They don't care about Muslims. They don't care about ethics. They don't th- care about morality. Everything else is part of the winning uh, hearts and minds campaign that the United States has used in Vietnam and has been using until today to justify its imperialism. So that is without a doubt. I think we agree here. And I think even Dr. Ghilan, he even agreed with that. He said that, you know, it's, it's obvious that they He even called, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Mohammed bin Zayed, like, uh, you know... Shaitan. I think so. Shaitan or, yeah. or close to shaitan, something like that. Right. Without a doubt, I think we in agreement there. Now, the role of the scholars is the problem. And I think this is what we need to focus on because I don't want to say it's expected that a country is, is, is immoral. And that... Because, I, again, I don't want to get too much into... The political theory about nation states, but the concept of nation states specifically nowadays is the concept of replacing God, replacing the transcendental God with with the state itself. So state becomes the God. State becomes uh, the, the the what distinguishes between the believer and unbeliever, rather than believer and unbeliever. You become a citizen and non-citizen. That is the concept of ni- a new modern nation states. And this is my critique to even Hamza Yusuf when he talks about that there is no um, Islamic state historically speaking. Uh, so the problem here again with, with Sheikh Abdullah bin Biya and, and Sheikh Hamza Yusuf is that they see this, they know this, and I said initially that Sheikh Abdullah bin Biyah was with the uh, International Union of, of Muslim Scholars, and after the Cuban Imarat, when Emirat started to expand its its uh, uh, influence in the region, he shifted, and he went, he he moved to a headquarter of Imarat, as I mentioned, the headquarter of counter-revolutionary forces in the region, and he started supporting the, the work of, or the politics of the Emirates, and this is why it becomes very dangerous? Because we see, and we need to contextualize things now. Sheikh Abdullah bin Bia keeps talking about promoting peace, yet he accuses Qatar of supporting terrorism. Right? So there is a, a very clear, a very clear dichotomy here. Terrorism is defined by the country of Emirates and 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 peace is also defined by the country of Omarat. and abdullah bin biya is following that economy now let's take the other context which is sheikh Abdul, uh, sheikh hamza youssef has been attacking islamic uh, movements specifically islamism and muslim brotherhood for decades now there's many segments of him on youtube and everywhere else as
0: recently uh, as the recent ris conference uh, what two three uh, years yeah. ago yeah, where, where yeah. he he went after Ikhwan al and hizb ut-tahrir out in, in public and i was just like it came out of left field actually it was like yeah it was so out of place and i was like where's this coming from like it felt almost like it was forced like he had to say it just to show his displeasure with islamic movements and then he also made comments uh years earlier about how there's no concept of his islamic state in, in in the world and and then like it was there's several clips of this stuff on youtube if anyone wants to go check it out. But it's been very puzzling since nine eleven, the the direction that yep. Sheikh Hamza has been going. And that's what I really have been trying to struggle to understand.
2: No definitely. If, you know and you're mean, right. And here so... very important oh sorry. Uh really quickly to finish the thought is that it, it's very important what we're saying right now because Sheikh Hamza yusuf accused that or he said he conflated uh, Muslim Brotherhood with ISIS. He said that the roots of ISIS started with the Muslim Brotherhood and, and Tahrir because of their Islamism and because of the way they look at the worldview and they look at Western uh, uh, imperialism. So what what I'm saying and what I'm arguing and many people are arguing the same is that Sheikh Abdullah bin Milya and Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, the way they've been selecting their rhetoric about terrorism and peace, about the nihilistic vision of Islamic movements and so-called pure Sufism where he and many many of his videos told the Muslim youth, you don't need to be engaged in politics. There is nothing called politics in Islam. All you need to do is stay in your cave and learn your deen. And we know this is not Islam. Islam is a comprehensive worldview that entails or encompasses politics and economy and and, and social issues. So what I'm trying to say here is, I I think it's very technical. I'm not, again, we're not questioning uh, intentions. We're not questioning any of the scholars, but we're saying it's not a coincidence that Sheikh Abdullah bin Biya has shifted his uh, uh, positions from uh, pro revolutions into counter revolution. And then him and his forum, that he is the president and Hamza Youssef is the vice president, made a statement two days after the blockade on Qatar, urging Qatar to come back to its uh, sanity and to stop supporting terrorists. And then we see Hamza Youssef and Sheikh al Nabiya attacking Islamism and, attacking, uh, uh, and, and declaring there is no such thing of Islamic uh, 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 states. So this is not a coincidence. In, in my opinion, this is a systematic approach into providing something called moderate or pacifist Islam that doesn't believe in, in in political engagement, and who's winning from that? The rulers of the emirates. Because if you say that in Islam you should not be engaged politically, you should not be seeking justice, you should not be standing against the oppressors, then what, what's what's going to happen? The, you are legitimizing the rulers of the emirates and you urging the people. To not stand up for oppression that is happening from Emirat. So, as a matter of fact, I definitely agree. Uh, think that Sheikh Abdulmuniem and Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, unfortunately, are part and parcel of the winning hearts and and, and minds campaigns of Emirat. I want to give a small example. A Few years ago, uh, I think last year or two years ago, um, there was a, 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 a excuse me a film. Uh, that was produced called The Sultan and the Saint. I don't know if any of you heard of it. Yes. Uh, it was produced by Unity Production uh, uh, Foundation. And the executives of that have been getting a lot of money from Emirates. And this movie is, or this film, is discussing the story of Sultan al-Kamil. And for those who know the history of crusaders, Sultan al-Kamil was the, the, uh, the nephew of Salah al-Din al-Ayubi. Salahidil Ayyubi freed Palestine. And after Salah Din Ayyubi, unfortunately his son was not strong enough to continue his, his legacy. So the Dawl al or the the al uh, uh, Islami was getting weak. So the nephew of Salah-Din, uh, uh, Sultan uh, al Kamil, who is the who's who's they're highlighting in that movie, right? Who's the star of that movie? It's someone who sold Al quds Al Aqsa, to crusaders to support him against his political rivalry with his own brother. So imagine he brought in invaders. He brought in crusaders that his uncle forced him out of the Holy Land, just so these crusaders can come to Jerusalem and give him support against his own brother for political reasons. So this is the documentary that Sheikh Abdullah Bin Bia and Hamza Yusuf advocated for. They were what, they were part of the marketing campaign to 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 promote this film. So I I, I can't I can't but. Be vigilant here and be critical in terms of why are they supporting a specific direction? Why is this Sultan Al-Kamil, who we as Muslim considered a, a, a traitor to the Ummah because he sold the Quds for his own political gain? Why are we celebrating him? as an icon or hero of interfaith and, and understanding and tolerance. If you say that this is the icon of tolerance for Muslims, then Salah al-Din al-Ayumi is not an example for us, meaning that in order for us today, and this is my issue of invoking uh, uh, the so-called Hilf fadul now in the Emirat, we are being told that in order to for us to be a model of tolerance and, inter- and accepting and interfaith, we have to accept imperialism and colonialism, we have to follow the model of Sultan al-Kamil which Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and Sheikh Abdullah Biya promoted, right, in order for us to be accepted in this world. So they are telling us... And, and, and
0: to accept the Westphalian nation-state. Oh, the
2: absolutely. Way. Absolutely. And not only accept it, but to be subordinate to Western hegemony, and this is why I'm saying this goes beyond just slandering scholars. I, I know we can talk about slandering uh, uh, scholars, and definitely disagree with everything Dr. Muhammad said. Because Islamically speaking, you're supposed to speak up uh, against oppression, and we know the example of Umar al-Khattab when, him, when he was when Muslims gave when Umar al-Khattab was a caliph, khalifa, a khalifa, and we know this example when we were kids. He bought to, He was given pieces of cloth to every single Muslim, and Umar al-Khattab was very very tall. So one piece of clothes was not enough for him to cover his awrah. So he had two of them. So he came to the stage and he said, sama'an wa ta'a, meaning listen and obey as Am the Khalifa. And Salman al-Farisi told him, la sama'an wa la ta'a. We're not going to listen or obey you. So Amr al-Khattab asked what happened. And that's Amr al-Khattab. Like, you know, if there is a prophet after, uh, after the Prophet, he would be Umar. He told him what happened. And he asked him, you gave all of us one piece of clothes, yet you took two pieces for you. How is that just? Umar ibn Khattab did not tell him, How dare you question me? How dare you question someone who's promised paradise? He asked his own son, Abdullah, عنهم, to, to justify, to explain. And Abdullah ibn Umar told him that I gave him my peace because the one was not enough for him. So we're talking about questioning the companions who were promised heaven. Yet we urge or we invoke things like. Uh, or uh, which the, 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 the skin or the, uh, what's the word, the, uh, the, f- the flesh of, of, of the scholars is, is poisonous. Yet we don't know when Ibn Asakir, he, he coined that term, he explicitly said in his books, he talked about it in the context of accusing them of things that they did not do. He's saying that if you accuse a a, a, vial, a valid scholar of something that he did not do or she did not do, then you are basically uh, eating your, their flesh and you are you basically are inhaling poison because you're attacking them of something that they did not do. You know. The, I, 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 so here's the thing. I, I think
3: this uh, is why Dr. Gilan had a well. His point was like, he, like I think he he would agree with everything you said about the Emirati policy, right? I think we acknowledge that already, right? What happens – what tends to happen on social media is that people who have had a Instagram, which shit comes to use of for years, not just because of UAE, but, like, because of sectarian, old-school Sufi, Salafi stuff, which you see those guys will just be out there like he's, he's a munafic, right? I, there was a brother that called him who compared him to Abu Khadija from Salafi publications. <laughs> like, I was, like, laughing. So I think no, that's he- what he's talking about because I don't think he's – like, people are trying to make, are trying to say that Dr. Gilan says that Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayah and Sheikh Hamza Yusuf are masum, And that's obviously not what he, what is, that's how it's being spun, at least.
1: No, no, no. But what I, the vibe that I got was, look, you have to be careful what you're talking about because they could be awliya. And then now you're going to be invo- invoking the wrath of Allah because you criticize an awliya. It's kind of like hanging that fear factor over you. You better not do that little boy or the big man's going to come get you.
3: Well, the, I think the criticism is that. legit. It's, I, it's honestly, the slandering, me, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the it's the attack where you're kind of going the insults cuz I think a lot yeah, of the stuff no, is but,
1: insults but, though. But, I but hold here hold to on, be wait, fair, let me make my one point here, to be fair the one second. I feel like the same people are defending these people when it comes to even though I'm not down with the Saudi ulama, but when they do something they don't give them the same benefit of the doubt. They're quick to say, "Oh, well, you know what? These guys they have good intentions. You don't know, you don't know the backdrop behind all of this. They've been working around, you don't know what, and to see how they're giving them in private, but when it comes to the Saudis, they are evil. They're the ones... That, they're why they're becoming atheists. This is why, you know, people are
0: happening, like, going like this. Well, I, to me, I think that this is... I, I, someone someone made a quick point. Uh, someone said, if anything, the Saudi scholars have more of an excuse because they yeah, live... Yeah, because they in, get they, persecuted. They live over there. And now yeah. like that... Here's the funny thing. Bin Baya
1: lives in Jidda. This is the funny part. Yeah, and, and this is... So, oh, this what? is... Oh, Mort, you alive? <laughs> oh, CPR. i <I'm> you so excited. <laughs> they dropped my
2: cam. Hold on. <laughs> Go ahead, Roger. So, yeah, let, let me take advantage uh, of Mort uh, being, being the Shaheed here. Uh, look, I I am not questioning uh, Dr. Gulen, and I think he, uh, you know, as I mentioned uh, from the beginning, I, I respect him dearly and I respect his work, but I, I I can't but disagree with him here because with, Yani, with all the respect, I think his rhetoric was was uh, was was not proper in in tackling this issue, uh, 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 claiming that these, you know, Sheikh Abdullah bin Milya or Hamza Yusuf are awliya Allah because he has a personal relationship and he knows them more than we do. I don't think that's a fair assessment of how we d- discuss a political issue. Also, when he when he says that or he claims that we don't know what's happening on the ground, so we cannot discuss it. That's not true. We know we know exactly what's happening on the ground. Just because, just uh, as he 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 was never uh, uh, he talked about uh, uh, Yemen and he said it's mutawatir. Well, everything we talked about is also mutawatir. Everything we talked about about you know about Emirates' role in 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 in, uh, in attacking Islamism and attacking traditional Islam, uh, attacking the essence of Islam is mutawatir. It's very clear. Here. And the role of Sheikh Abdullah bin Miah and Sheikh Hamza Yusuf in this process is also mutawatir. I brought in many examples of, of of what happened here, and when you have Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. Conflating Muslim Brotherhood with ISIS or saying that uh, I don't wanna, you know, miss miss speak, but he basically said that the roots of ISIS are Muslim Brotherhood. That's very dangerous in an era where we see Islamists in Egypt are being prosecuted, Islamists in the West are being thrown in Guantanamo Bay and being thrown in jail. This is not easy. This is not this is not safe for us to say. So what I'm trying to say here is that the, clearly, that the issue of luhum al masmuma doesn't apply here, because at the end of the day, those are human beings. Yes, they're scholars, and we respect them. But as we know, Islamically speaking, and 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 here when we, we and, I, and I I don't want to. I'm not a sheikh, but you know, I, I'm not even a student of of of, of, of knowledge. But sheikh al shafi, imam al shafi, made it very clear that the scholars are. He called them al al-amilun, meaning the working fuqaha the working. He said that in order for you for you to be an actual scholar, you have to fit in three categories. And these are the categories that is, is traditional uh, Muslim scholars use to identify who's a scholar, who's not. Number one, that you have to be, uh, he called it qudwa fil qawl, meaning that you have to learn the Islam and you have to know, you say it the right way and you explain it the right way. And you have to be qudwa bil amal, meaning your, your, work, your, actions, your actions are part of are not in in, in that they're not the kind of isolated from Islam. They're not away from Islam. They're actually following Islamic perspective. And most importantly he said, meaning that they they don't fear anybody except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now I'm not accusing Sheikh Abdullah bin Biya or Hamza Yusuf with their intentions. At the end of the day, it's not my place to ask or to even question intentions. I'm questioning about their actions. Clearly, their actions since I don't want to say only September 11. Let's at least argue since uh, to, since the Arab Spring, since uh, uh, Sheikh Abdullah bin Baya decided to let go of Sheikh Al-Qaradawi and go join the Emirates into creating a new uh, a Muslim el- Council of, of Muslim Elders and to to make statements against the Arab Spring, to make statements against Islamists, and to support Emirates in its blockade against against uh, Qatar and accuse Qatar of supporting terrorism. And then you have Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, as I mentioned, and Sheikh Abdullah bin Biya advocating certain version of peace and certain version of terrorism and always want us to subordinate to Western hegemony and always subordinate to tyrants and always subordinate to dictators. We cannot but question the I don't want to say the legitimacy, but the, 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 the wisdom of saying something like that. When you have Sheikh Hamza bin Yusuf, which Dr. Ghilan said that he never Uh, basically uh, defended the Emirate. That's not true. Two days ago, in the heart of the conference, and it's recorded and anybody can hear it, he said the Emirate is a tolerant country. It's a model of tolerance. And you're saying that while you're in the headquarters of the counter-revolutionary forces in the region, you can't associate yourself with an evil... And then tell, and then, and not only associate yourself from eve with the evil, which we already establish as the government. W-
0: the yeah. counterpoint to that would be that he's intending to talk about the how with the various faiths initiative, in, you mean the various faiths can live in the Emirates and coexist. That's actually a very uh, thank you for bringing that because yeah. I totally forgot
2: about it. Who are the interfaith? Uh, organizations that brought up to the conference ADL, Anti-Defamation League Anti-Defamation League is a Zionist organization That doesn't only stand Against Palestine, it's been uh, uh, Advocating for Islamophobia In the West, the previous executive Director of ADL literally called Muslims animals and, and terrorists And radicals in the West These are the people he's, he's inviting to Interfaith, oh. he brought in he brought in Evangelical Christian, he brought A, Qualium, uh, a Foundation from Britain, uh, Every- Id Hussein yeah. Yeah. who's an Islamophobe. He's one of the people who's leading Islamophobia in the West. So this is not just oh, about... Oh, Sarah Khan too. And, and Sarah Khan, and many many individuals. Yeah,
1: what I, was, was Sarah Khan being there? That I saw that and I'm like, what is going on here?
2: So like <laughs> this is what we argue Mort. is that The Emirat and this conference, and it's not, and and I'm sorry to say this, it's not a place that is really about peace. It's about pushing a specific political ideology by normalizing this.
1: Can we be honest, for for me, this is just a PR push by the UAE. Absolutely. Look at us. We're so modern. We're moving along. We're doing everything perfect. We have all these different people coming here. You know, let's be honest. Majority of the, of the time they were there, they're probably on a vacation. They won't really talk about this, nothing else.
0: This or right? this, this looks more like it was organized by Ayon Hirsi Ali than anything. It seems like yeah, yeah. Like but these the, are the I, people I think, who they're I, friends with. They they think for those who, a lot of our listeners don't know who Ed Hussein and them are because we only well, we, we, we only talk who, about like imagine the was so imagine yeah. the boss is essentially Ed. Hussein. Is, yeah. Well, so well he, he, hey, Sam,
1: for a second, I just wanted to get this off from my chest for a second though. So, so here's the thing. I think I'm, I don't think either of us here are sitting here trying to just uh, scrutinize and, and, and insult any of the Shayukh that are, that are, that have their opinions. We but I think sure what we're hell, encouraging scrutinize Hussein do, No, but what, what, what I'm encouraging <laughs> people to though, is that, no, wait, hold on. This is important. <laughs> is that we always, be free, we've, we've like frequently talk about this in the show that do not put scholars on pedestals because they are humans and they make mistakes, right? They will make mistakes. I'm not saying discredit them because they, they have mistakes. No. What I'm saying is that you, everything they do doesn't have to be justified just because they're shayuch, absolutely right. You can't hide behind that. If there's something wrong, you can say, look, we, ex- I'm not saying it negates all the good they've done, all the books they've written, all the talks they've given. No, I'm sure there's, there's hair and there's ajar in their work. Great. But when it comes to certain issues, you can say, "Hey, look, that doesn't line up. That it, goes it, against it, some of the main philosophies that we have as Muslims." Yeah. And, and, I I mean,
0: one real quick thing, I just want to say in in defense of Dr. Gilan, after that episode, I I found out a lot more about this stuff because it just went viral and people just started sending me messages to the point that I just had to turn off my phone. And but I saw like all these various characters, like Ed Hussein, and them, um, like pictures of, of how who was invited and and I, I'm not sure he actually knew all that so just just well, for this, his listeners this, keep this, that
1: yeah, in so mind so it's not against Mohamed Gilan this is not what it's for I'm just no, saying just, this I'm mentality I just want the listeners right, since, to understand that no, even but wait, we wait, didn't wait, know sim, all sim, this this mentality exists among certain people who support Different shuyuk. It can be this camp one day. It could be another camp tomorrow. It doesn't matter. What I'm what I'm focusing on is the mentality, right? Because today it could be Hamza Yusuf. Tomorrow it could be Qaradawi It could be Al Sheik. It could be anybody. You don't know. It could be anybody, right? Well, don't mess but, with my grand mufti, dude. <laughs> Al Sheik. <Shaykh laughs> is my dude, man. The don't thing play. is that the yes. thing is that you have to be able to say, look, hmm. who, Allahu alam, why that person went and did that? I mean, does he know everything? I don't know. That's true. We we have a degree of uncertainty, right? We don't know. We assume the best, but if something is wrong, we say it's wrong, and that's it. We don't have to defend them. Absolutely. Not, right. Roger you were not saying
2: something.
0: <clears throat> Roger, you were saying
2: something. Yeah, I just wanted to jump, on that. I 100% agree with with Mort here, and I, I wanna I wanna invoke a few things from from uh, from our tradition, which is you know the the famous hadith. Or oh, the, the famous foundation of islam it's called in meaning that uh, 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 you know uh, results are by uh, deeds are by their the the end of uh, what is it oh, sorry I'm, I'm chopping up english uh, intentions. intentions by their ending
1: by their uh, ending. And, and, and by ending, ending sorry yeah. yeah, the, like the action the, like, yeah. Basi-
2: basically, there's. So a, the end, hadith. good or bad. Right. Exactly. So, basically, there's a hadith about, you know, Muslim can be doing so good that he will be only an arm length away from Jannah. Then he would do one action of hell that will be sent to hell and ver- vice versa. So, <inaudible> meaning that you will be judged by the end of your, your work. Basically, what's. What, it's not important what, what are you doing now. What's important is what you die on. Now, I'm not saying that. Sheikh Abdullah bin Bia or Hamza Yusuf or A'udhu you Billah know, uh, are uh, going to hell or any of that. That's not what I'm arguing. I'm saying I'm arguing that we don't have in Islam any sense of idealizing anybody. Every single human being outside the, the prophets, outside the companions who have adala, we nobody, we hold them to the, to the level of idols. They make right and they make wrong. However, I've heard, uh, Sam, and correct me if I'm wrong, that when you were saying it was a political error, you were being pushed that saying that we don't know what happened. You can't even, Claim that is a political error, and this what I'm what I'm worried about is we cannot have a a political or intellectual discourse anymore without being uh, scared of by you know uh, engaging in war against Allah and His Prophet, being being threatened or being uh, uh, using uh, uh, some Islamic uh, uh, ideas out of context to shut us down from having this conversation. There is hasn't been any any Islamic. Uh, uh, presidents where we cannot talk about scholars We cannot talk about the things that they do Especially when we see a systematic Approach by people like Or by scholars like Sheikh Abdullah bin Biya and, 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 and Sheikh Hamza Yusuf Literally when Rabaa massacre happened In Egypt, as I mentioned Sheikh Abdullah bin Bia left the Islamic Union Of Muslim scholars and he created the Council of Muslim Elders with who? Who was the president of that, uh, of that uh, 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 Council that was created And funded by Emirat uh, Ahmad al-Tayyib he was the mufti of Sisi. He was the one who told the Sisi it's okay to commit the massacre against innocent people in Rabaa. So I I, I can't, um, we don't live in a vacuum. It's not we don't know. We know he is being involved in people that are not only opp- oppressing people, not giving direct money to oppressors, but involved with scholars that legitimize the oppression, that give the uh, so-called the tyrants like Sisi in Egypt, the Islamic legitimization to kill people in the streets. And we heard Ali Jum'ah and Amr Khaled who, and especially Ali Jum'ah when he told, kill them in the streets because they're filth. This is what Ali Jum'ah mentioned. And this is part of the people who Sheikh Abdullah bin Biya is hanging out with. Now, again, I don't care about intentions. And I know the question of what if he's sitting down with the Amir to tell him uh, uh, to, to to uh, because it was argued that maybe if it was not for him working with the Amir of Imarat, then the Amir of Umarat would be worse. Okay, you know what? I might argue, what if Abdullah bin Bia, for, for the sake of the argument, is not the one who's telling the Amir to do these things? How do we know that that's not the case? Why are we assuming that that scholar is a Wali and the Amir is the evil, or the devil and then that wali is, is stopping the devil from doing it. How come we never heard one argument against Imarat from either Sheikh Abdullah bin Biyya or Sheikh Hamza Yusuf?
1: So that was, my, was my criticism thing- too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean I I like it, for, for overgeneralizing and saying, hey, maybe he's doing that. Maybe he's going over there and giving advice. Maybe they, it would have been worse if he didn't go there. But the whole poss- this whole maybe idea, like the, the possibility, the hypotheticals, it could go either pro or against, yes. right? I could say, how do I know that he's not the one encouraging him to do in the first place? How do I know that? Allah'u alam, you know, people are people, right? And and so the thing is that I think we just need to be a little bit more real about it and say, look, there's some definite clues you know, in the, in, in the details here, let's not exclude the fact that, hey, they have to have some knowledge of what's going on, right? And that, and Allahu A'lam, why they made the decision, they did. Allah will judge them on that, but um, I
3: just can't sign on with that and say, "Okay, it's fine, it's cool." I'm going to make an excuse so, for that. So, Raja, as we like, kind of, we, we got a few minutes left. Talk a little bit about now, what does it mean for West Muslims in America? I mean, we already sold our souls, so I don't know how well, bad uh, it can get.
0: Yeah, uh, one. <laughs> and just to kind of piggyback on that, I want to know: Do you know of anything, anything in regards to any financial connections with regards to uh, Hamza Yusuf and? Uh, the UAE is he receiving or is uh, Zaytuna receiving any kind of financial contributions from the UAE for their support
2: well it, it, I think it's common knowledge that Zaytuna receives funds from, from from the Gulf specifically from Emirates I mean at one point the Qatari princess was actually part of the board of trustees in Zaytuna uh, I don't know if she's still there after the black in Qatar
0: Wait, which princess uh, the Qatari
2: what, yes, one Qatari princess was on a board of trustees in Zaytuna University. I forget her name. Uh, I don't know if she's still there after the after the blockade in Qatar. Uh, you know, I it, there there are some funds coming to the U.S. and specifically to Zaytuna. I don't, of course, I I don't know for sure, so I'm not I'm not gonna argue that. But I but I think it's common knowledge uh, that Zaytuna is funded by you know, international donors. And I'm sure most of these donors, why would Sheikh Hamza Yusuf will be connecting himself to the Emirates if they don't support some of his work? Maybe that's where his mindset is coming from, is that since they support my work and support the Muslim work in the U.S., maybe it's okay. I don't know his his his, his, his train of thought. Uh, but again, I don't buy it. I don't think it's healthy.
0: And I think it's very dangerous to the Muslim community here and everywhere in the West. And as, Ma, as Mahin said, what other type of connections are, how is this impacting... A, Americans, people who live in UK, Canadians, Australians. Right. How how does the UAE sinking their, their teeth into our institutions, how does that affect us?
2: It's actually, it affects us big time. Now, let me start by saying that for the past few years, we've been told that Focus Local and forget about the Muslim Ummah. That we have issues locally, so forget about overseas. And we ignored overseas. That overseas started influencing us here because we ignored it and we we didn't stand up for justice when when when, it, when things happened or took place in the Middle East. So what's currently happening in in, in Western communities and how Emirat is involved in this? And again, as I mentioned, starting in 2014, when Emirat designated mainstream Muslim organizations like CARE and uh, uh, Mas and uh, and uh, Islamic Relief International by uh, by of of being, uh, Islam, of being uh, terrorist organizations. So it started there. That was the first uh, the first introduction into how they are involved into uh, influencing uh, the 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 reality of Muslims in the West. However, it did not end there. Last year, uh, Middle East Monitor uh, uh, leaked uh, or, or they received a leaked email of Yusuf Al-Tabei, who was the the ambassador of uh, or not the ambassador but the the ambassador of uh, of Emirates in the U.S. He was vitting specific scholars, Muslim scholars to, to mainstream Muslim organi- uh, to mainstream American organizations, mainstream med- med- media, mainstream think tanks and whatnot and he was pushing a specific kind of Muslim scholars. Their names are in the Middle East uh, monitor I'm not going to mention their name but they're there if people want to see to want to see it. but if you look at these names, they all uh, have a specific um, uh, uniqueness into them which is all of them kind of apolitical. They don't discuss anything that has to do with, with political issues. They don't discuss things that have to do with social issues when it comes to Islam. So they're pushing, the Emirat is involved in, in pushing certain Muslims in the West, whether these Muslim scholars know or they know. I, for the most part, I think majority of them don't know that Emirat is doing this. But Emirat is doing it under the table to push these in Muslims and to give them platforms to become the mainstream Muslim scholars. And by the way, this is ABC of what the Rand Corporation uh, has uh, recommended the US government do giving platform to Sufis and giving platform to modernists to to take back, quote-unquote, take back the Islamic uh, narrative when it comes to mainstream. So they push certain individuals to be in the mainstream that they advocate things that we don't agree with as traditional uh, in, uh, or as Muslims mainstream Islam because they think either, either too Sufi for us or too Salafi for us or too this for us or too that for us, it's not mainstream Islam. So they're pushing it because they want to, push the community into a specific direction. Now, that is being, again, pushed with, when we see a rampart uh, or uh, uh, an an exponentially increasing level of right-wing Islamophobia, and even left-wing, by the way. I Definitely, I know you guys discussed uh, the left-wing and their influence in Islamophobia and pushing Muslims, but exponentially there is an increase in Islamophobia. So when you have an increase in Islamophobia in the West and you have, excuse me, Um, uh, you are forcing Muslims to defend themselves, right? And that forcing of you being on a defense are going to be uh, a holding of any relief that comes your way. And that relief that comes your way is these same individuals that are being promoted and given platforms because they are the image of Islam. And all you're going to be doing is telling Muslims, look at me, I'm I'm a a peace-loving Muslim, look at that imam that is given mainstream platform and that imam represents me. So that indirectly pushes you to not only advocate and legitimize that specific imam that is vetted by Emirates, but it creates a sense of self-censorship where we, start to, we you stop talking about certain political uh, uh, aspiration for you as a Muslim in fear of being called uh, not woke or not being relevant anymore. In addition to that, which I think is very important here, when we talk about assimilation theories, when we talk about integration theories, we have to understand that any powerful nation will use assimilation or, you know, social scientists, especially uh, sociologists, they argue that assimilation is a one-way process. It's a one-way violent process where the newcomers, we as Muslims, whether you came today or you came hundred years ago, you still consider the newcomer. You're still an immigrant until today, even if you're fifth generation or fourth generation, you look down uh, as, a, as an immigrant. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, because I, I wasn't born here, so I don't know your experience, but based on what I'm reading, we still considered as newcomers, even Chinese, and until today, they're still still considered immigrants, uh, even though they've been here for more than 100 years. So according to assimilation theories, the newcomers have to do one thing, which is they need to shed or they need to eradicate their unique identity and embrace the identity and the value system of the natives, meaning that we as Muslims, let's be very honest, as some aspects of our value system is not compatible with certain Western value system. Meaning when we talk about social issues, when we talk about political issues, when we talk about capitalism, when we talk about globalization, when we talk about imperialism, when we talk about violence, when we talk about certain uh, social, sexual things, uh, sexual, sexual uh, orientation and what, there's a lot of it that they're not compatible with Islamic value system. So in order for us to be accepted, according to assimilation theories, we have to get rid of our identity, we have to get rid of our value system, or make it secondary. To the main value system of the natives, which is the native, uh, 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 the native Western uh, value system that we see today, that we have to embrace. So all of this, finally, to link it all together, you have you're facing heat, you're facing oppression, you're facing Islamophobia, and you have someone who's a Muslim uh, uh, government coming around, pushing specific Muslims to go outside that don't. Uh, they're, they're not in in uh, in competition, or they're not they not uh, uh, they're compatible with Western value system. So uh, you are being pushed by Muslim uh, either scholars who don't know that this is happening and Muslim governments to accept the value system of the West to be fully assimilated into, into, into the society by getting rid of all of your uniqueness, getting rid of your Muslim identity, and getting rid of, of, of your uh, uh, value system. And the biggest example of this is when we talk about issues overseas, when we talk about Palestine, you guys discussed MLI in the past, MLI is, or uh, normalizing with Zionist has become normal. And it's being normalized. And the danger of what Emirates is doing, the danger of Sheikh Abdullah bin Bia and Hamza Yusuf and what they're doing in this conference, they brought Islamophobes, Zionists, and, and, and oppressors to the conference to inter to do interfaith together. They wanna to normalize that it's okay that Zionists should be part of the so-called peace promoting. So they wanna prom- promote peace by inviting Zionists. So we've been told that in order for us to do peace, we have to talk to Zionists. So in order for Palestinians to have peace in Palestine, they actually just have to sit down with the Israeli soldiers. That's all they need to do. They, it's not about, they get rid of, and this is my issue with the apolitical conversation and uh, an anti-intellectual conversation when we talk about scholars, we remove the social and geopolitical component. The Emirat, we more talked about it more before, there is a geopolitical issue happening in the Middle East. There is a geopolitical issue happening in Palestine, in Yemen, and Syria, in Iraq. So we can't just talk about Sheikh Abdullah bin Biya and Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and the work that they do and how much they influence and legitimize the, the the political aspiration of Emirat. We cannot just say, oh, we need to, you know, we can't talk about ulama because luhum al-ulama masluma. We have to understand that whether it's intentional by these scholars or not intentional, they are harming Muslims. And they need to be aware of this, and I'm sure they know about this. The fact that until today they did not make any uh, 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 significant moves against Emirat, it, it, it saddens me, and it gives me an impression that it's not as na- they're not as naive. Maybe they just um, they don't think it's a, it's a big issue because of the gain that they might be getting out of this. With situation. regards
3: to Palestine, it'd be interesting to get the take of Dr. Hatem Bazian, who's I think on faculty at Zaytuna. Right. Actually, it's very
2: interesting you mentioned this because Dr. Hatem Bazian has been attacked by Ariel and Islamophobes for decades. You know, he's he's expert in Islamophobia and he's working on Palestine, and, and yet the same people who have been attacking Dr. Hatem Bazian and demonize him for decades are the same people are invited to the conference organized by the partner of of uh, Dr. Hatem Bazian in Zaytuna, because you know. Uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, the Khatim Azian, and, and Shakir are three of the, fa- the co-founders of Zaytuna. Right. So one of the co-founders are sitting down with the same enemy that is attacking his own uh, uh, co-founder in Zaytuna. So it's really interesting. I don't, I don't know how is the yeah. dynamic going, but it's something to I, you know. Thank you, you know, uh, Mahin, to bring this up. But this is explains how you know. Imagine you and Sem you would plan a conference and you sit down with the people who've been demonizing some for the past 20, 20 years. <laughs> and you they, have they, they, they mean, That's actually not bring that bring far fetched. The, they, they they people far-fetched. who
1: don't like me, and they bring them on the show yeah. and they insult them all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's intentional though. Yeah. I'm, I'm that guy that just gets <laughs> crapped on. No, but you know, one thing I wanted to, um, to bring, to bring to, uh, I, I think people probably know this, but I think it's good to uh, highlight it. Is that most, most, um, dictators or, or, Leaders or monarchies or whatever, whatever you want to call them in the Middle East, uh, they generally always have some type of legitimacy from some from from some scholar. Whether they they this is essential for the way they rule uh, the country because, unlike America, the Middle East is a little bit different. Religion still plays a very big important part in society, right? Even if they're not religious, but culturally, religion is very very important. Uh, I don't. And, and in some places, even more so. For example, like in Saudi Arabia, there's no way that um, social reforms or polit- political reforms can happen if um, unofficially the scholars don't okay it. Meaning that they they don't they have to give a verdict to the general population, the laymen, and say yes, this is good. We give a stamp of approval, right? I mean, technically, the government could go in and you know use the military force and do whatever the hell they want to do, but in order to have a smooth, effective uh, implementation of their policies, they have realized that they can utilize certain scholars and they'll be able to um, get the people on board. And it doesn't matter whether you look at Saudi Arabia, you look at Libya, Egypt, you look at UAE, you look at, I mean, go anywhere, Somalia, it doesn't matter where you you go. Any um, individual seeking to implement change usually tries to first get a a signature or or a sign-off From a body of scholars, and there are some scholars who agree to it, and there's some who don't,
2: and I think ultimately this is what we're seeing here. That's why Marx, by the way, called religion is the opium of the of the people, because he realized that you know again we don't subscribe to Marx and Marxist theories, but. You know, it's something to, to learn from here. And Ali Shariati, who's a Shi'i Muslim revolutionary scholar in, in Iran, he talked about this. He talked about how religion can be used by dictators to legitimize and justify their oppression. And this is not a new phenomenon, by the way. Even some of the Muslim uh, 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 tyrant uh, leaders back in the day, they did do this. They did. This is why we have the term ulama al-salateen. This is how this is how we have it because this actually happened, and this is why the majority of the scholars, including Ghazali, Ibn Taymiyyah, you know, the, all scholars spoke against the ulama al Salatin and spoke about the scholars who were led by by by, by the tyrants or by the rulers. This is a known phenomenon that existed for a long time. And actually, as a matter of fact, it's really interesting. Today, I was scrolling Facebook and I saw, uh, and I totally forgot about this Sheikh uh, Shad al Masri, may Allah bless him. He actually shared a video of Hamza Yusuf back in the day. Saying that when he was invited to Bush, invited to the White House by Bush, when he talked about how we're not war, uh, we're not in war against Muslims, he said that he, I'm, 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 I'm quoting Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. He said that no country would uh, invite you uh, by its grac- a- a graciousness unless, yani, they want something out of you. And he said that CNN as soon as. Sheikh Hamza Yusuf said that we're not at war with Islam, CNN put the camera on his face. And he accused CNN of being a state uh, television. So Sheikh Hamza Yusuf knows this. He knows that every single country uses people like him to legitimize or to use him for PR. Yet, since all of this that we're talking about, he still... You know he's still close to them. He 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 never calls them out. He never criticizes them. As if instead, two days ago, as I mentioned, he called them the most tolerant or one of the most tolerant countries around. So the, the, these issues we cannot ignore. We cannot ignore the actions. Again, I don't care about intentions. It's not my it's not my nobody's problem. But I am am I'm, I'm following the, the 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 legacy of the Prophet Sallallahu and, and and what Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has taught us that you know people who you know don't follow. The Islamic, uh, 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 the, the essence of Islam, when it comes to these issues, are we need to question them. And alim is alim as long as they practice what is right and they forbid what is evil. If they're not forbidding what is evil, and yeah. as a matter of fact, they are being used, whether they know or don't know. And I doubt that they don't know uh, by these tyrants. Then we need to question them. It's it's very obvious. Yeah. yeah, I just want to remind some of the listeners: like,
1: this is not a, a hate or or my camp versus your camp. Honestly, it's better. To, it, I, I, I really, I, I implore. The comment section is out of hand. Yeah, don't, don't start attacking <laughs> all right. each other. We don't want to have a Salafi versus Sufi. This is not what it's about. If, if you, you want right, to, take a, people up here people shanty, and go fight on some you know some lowdown forum that nobody knows you on. Yeah. Because by look- the way, if you know other people who are triggered, get them on the forum too, so we can yeah. No look, dude, uh, I-, I'm have people- I-, I love Muhammad Gilan. <laughs> I love. I love the shayukh. I love, I mean, look, if you really have a problem, it's probably better to be making da'a, the, that Allah guides them to the best because we could be wrong to Allah. But the thing is, it's not here. We're just expressing our views because of the fact that we see it to be problematic, meaning from our lens, right? And we're just expressing views. If they're willing to come here and explain to us, I'm more than willing to listen and even change my opinion. I have no problem with that. This is not about a camp thing where, oh, we're moderates, or we're Salafis, or we're Sufis, no, and we're, now everyone, we're going to battle everyone. it out. Yeah, we're going to duke it out on the Mad Mamluks. No. Everyone on the Mad And have him debate Raja on the show. No, it's not a Sufi-Salafi thing. If they want to have a discussion, it's fine. It's great. Let's do that. Let's hear each other out. But to go in and say, oh, you're, you're a Khawarij, you're a Khawarij, you're a Khawarij. You know, you, you're a Khwani, you're <laughs> you know I, I left that about like in 2002, I think. Yeah. Right. Uh, everyone on even... our
0: team has been part of various movements, uh, Salafis, Sufis, Islamic, yeah. Islamic so movements. So let's uh, keep it calm, guys. This we're, we're, is one this is one not... of the
1: objectives is to open your mind, to, ha- to allow you to hear the other side and not be emotional. Right, that's, that is that, that is one of the most fundamental, important things that we try to do here, is to help Muslims
2: stop being reactionary and being emotional. Use Think your with, brain. Your yeah. you
1: wanna, with your mind. I just want
2: to mind really quick, just to reiterate what you said. And uh, when I mentioned initially that Rand was pushing to uh, highlight Sufis and give them platform, that was their plan. That doesn't mean that Sufis are bad at all. Uh, it's it just that Rand and Western imperialism usually, same way they played the division between Sunni and Shia to, to make Saddam Hussein attack Iran as soon as uh, the Iranian revolution took place, uh, serving American interests, not Sunnism against Shiaism. Absolutely not. Uh, uh, I'm not I'm not saying that you know we have a problem with, with Sufism, with Salafism or anything. Our issue is this is what the West is doing. They see that there is uh, uh, divide and conquer it's abc they see that there's differences of opinion about certain things so they want to advocate their process their idea their ideas and their their mission is to push the sufis in a specific a specific version of sufis by the way because back in the day, historically speaking sufis has been leading lots of resistance movements in algeria and even even in Salah the of forms, course you know. uh, Qasran, even in africa uh, yeah. uh, there, there's a lot and of for
1: anybody following earth these days you know these, these guys are sufis right?
2: yeah so <laughs> they, we uh, sufis historically lots of them have been on the forefront of resisting uh, foreign invasions absolutely but we're we're talking about political reality now we have people like ali jama who is advocating for emirat and saudi he is unfortunately to say he's a stooge to them that repeats what they want them to repeat. And it's being clear. Ali Jum'a is the same thing. Ali Jum'a subscribes to be a Sufi. And he and, and Ahmad al-Tayyib as well. But these scholars are, uh, if, you, if you want to call them scholars, they're straight up legitimize oppression and tell CC it's okay to go kill these people in this, down in the streets and kill them and rob, and commit genocide against them. So we have to be honest that not every single person that calls themselves a scholar automatically becomes a scholar and automatically is infallible and cannot sell themselves to the, to the devil. There's no one uh, there is no one is who's safe from being tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why Imam uh, uh, Ali karamallahu Wajah he said that meaning that the truth is not defined or is not known by men. Actually, men are defined and known through or acknowledged through the truth. If they follow the truth, then they're good. If they don't follow the truth, then they're not good. But we cannot make men and make our favorite scholar the epitome of the truth and whatever they say is the truth and whatever they don't say is not the truth. This is the dangerous part. And this is why I urge you know, our Muslim brothers and sisters to learn the basics of Islam. Because this is how we protect ourselves from the scholars of the Sultan. This is how we protect ourselves from corrupt scholars. There, it does, historically speaking, they've been corrupt scholars. Today we have scholars like, uh, so-called scholars like Ali Jum'ah and, and Tayyib, who, who, as I mentioned, they legitimize the, the oppression. So we have scholars who legitimize the Western imperialism. There's scholars until today who say, you know, Palestinian resistance is haram for them to resist against Israeli occupation. So there are sellouts who are more than happy to sell the deen and sell the religion for money or for fame. We have to be honest about this. We're not, we're not, you know, uh, some a different, different world where we don't make mistakes. No, we have an essential... Understanding of Islam, which is You know, you can You know, that you will be judged by the final the, 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 the final deeds that you do If you do good, you end You die with the good deeds, you're good If you don't, then, you, then you're then you not good So this is this is an, this is is an essential in Islamic Aqeedah, so by rejecting that And by, by the way, and this is the Innocent part, if we have a personal relationship with an Imam, or with a scholar, or we love Them so much, or we learn so much from them It doesn't mean that they're infallible We cannot be blinded and, and, and I urge people to look at not just their Islamic work, because I, for one, think that Sheikh Abdullah Biya is one of the top current Muslim fuqaha in the world, without a doubt. Of course. It, it, I'm talking about theoretically speaking, and you know, being it's being it's told by the, lots of scholars that he's like, you know, first class scholar and fiqh However, his political uh, alignment with Emirat and his moral alignment with Emirat should be questioned. I'm not questioning his scholarship in Islam. I'm questioning his political, moral, and lack of uh, 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 emphasizing the Islamic ruling against tyrants and against oppression and against Zionisms and, and, and Islamophobes and the enemies of Islam. This is what we're questioning. So we cannot be blinded by our love for them. As a matter of fact, our love for them should push them, should make us question what they're doing for the betterment of them. Because we want them to die on the truth, we don't want them to be tested with something like this. So I think this is how we need to look at the uh, uh, these issues. Yeah, um,
1: just just for the the listeners, if, if you're curious, uh, the article or the Rand Institute um, article or paper that Raja is talking about is, Raja, it's uh, it's called "Building Moderate Muslim Networks," and this is written by Cheryl Bernard. And there uh, it's is available one in on the Rand
2: Text by the way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, in 2006. They have another one also now about ISIS, but this is the one, it's available on the RAND, uh, yeah. www.rand.org. Um, maybe I can link it to you guys in the, in the, in the body later on in, in the uh, description. But um, it's a good read. You can see how they divide into like liberal, orthodox, traditional, extremist, uh, and, and, what, and how they want to push them to, uh, how they divide each Muslim into different categories. It's a very interesting read.
0: All right, guys, uh, we've got to wrap this up. Uh, Raja, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank um, you, me. Appreciate it. Is there anything last? Any closing comment? Anyone say anything in the chat that we really have to look it's at? Too or, much in the text, dude. Is too much. Okay. Like,
1: yeah, it's too much. We'll look is at it, the chat like... later on. But if
0: we'll But we'll <laughs> oh, we hit ninety-six of... people, which is great. Record well, Ninety-nine. Oh,
3: congratulations. Ninety-nine. Oh, 99. Oh, okay. So, I need one more for hundred. Come on.
0: <laughs> All right, man. Uh, let's go ahead and give a shout out to uh, HalfHourDean.com. If you are in the market and looking a significant other, go to havefardein.com. It's a private matrimonial website. You won't be the talk of the town when you're looking for a spouse. Go ahead, go ahead and get your set, uh, profile set up in as little as five minutes. invest.com is a company that specializes in sh- halal sharia compliant financing. Go to wideinvest.com. And finally, mywasia.com is a website where you can go and Get a Sharia-compliant well-made in as little as 15 minutes. All right. All right, guys. Uh, it was great uh, talking to you. Uh, Rajah, please stay on the line before, after me. keep asking,
1: we... is, is Rajah single? I don't know why, but Oh,
3: Rajah, already. Yeah, you've been, you've been, uh, been hey, a fire and, and, topic. And I've seen this te- this question like and, four and, and, times. Nomanabi, are you on the chat? I, oh. I don't know who that is. Maybe <laughs> maybe that is.
2: I'm, I'm she knows on with, Facebook. With two girls. Oh, mashallah. mashallah. Oh, are, sorry, you, are, you, are you looking for number two? <laughs> <laughs> I, if you want to
3: go, 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 go to halfodine.com. I'm not sure. <laughs> <if my laughs> wife... We're working on the upgraded version.
2: I, I, I don't want to die tonight. So yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I know. I know. We, all,
3: we
1: all feel like in the same boat every time that happens. But <laughs> yeah, they'll get killed he'll on the live it. stream.
0: Oh,
2: uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love my wife so much, so I'll, I'll stick with one. Mashallah.
0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us this evening. We'll so all we'll see y'all next. Uh, oh, this Thursday, taboo Thursdays. Take it easy. So assalamualaikum